I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, we'll be looking at verse 22 today. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there. And it's page 141 in the Pew Bible. It's page 141 in the Pew Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then we do invite you to take that Pew Bible and uh, use it for your, for your own. That's our gift to you today. So we want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. So take that and use it for your benefit, your edification. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22. We're continuing our study in the book of Deuteronomy. We just finished up the Ten Commandments, and we're moving on there. Uh, we're going to pick up the pace here. I know today we're just looking at one verse still, but uh, next week we'll begin to pick up the pace a little bit more and, and make it on through Deuteronomy uh, a little bit quicker. But today we are looking at uh, the gospel according to Moses as we see it here in the book of Deuteronomy. And today we're focusing on God's glorious word, God's glorious word. I wonder, have you ever, have you ever been interested in hunting for lost treasure? I'm not talking about like Indiana Jones type stuff, but uh, you know, you, you've seen the guys out there on the beach and, and they'll, they'll come, they got their metal detector and they're just looking around looking for lost treasure. And uh, I mean, it seems kind of interesting to me. I can imagine it's pretty exciting to find lost treasure after you've been sitting out there for a while, searching, searching, searching. I have a friend of mine who, he, he does that. He, he search for, searches for lost treasure on Civil War battlegrounds. And every now and again, he'll post pictures on Facebook and Instagram of his treasures, the treasures that he finds out there on these old battlegrounds. And there's things like bullets and old buttons and coins. And occasionally he even finds like a, a, a buckle, a belt buckle from the Civil War era. And I can imagine the excitement that he must have when he finds that treasure. We all have that kind of a, a sense of wanting to find treasure. We, we, we would like to find treasure. We all get excited if, if we happen to find a, a dollar bill or even a $20 bill laying on the ground. That's a lost treasure. And, ooh, that brings me some excitement, especially if it's 20. I mean, woo, that's good. So we, we have that desire. We, we would like to find lost treasure. But did you know that you have a treasure trove right there in front of you that you can dive into every day and dig into it and find all kinds of wonderful, valuable treasure. It's right there in your lap, hopefully. It's God's Word. God's Word is a wonderful treasure, and, and there's so many treasures within the treasure, right? It's just a treasure trove of treasures, and we can dig into God's Word and, and, and dig down deep into it, and every day, dig up a kernel of treasure from God's Word. Today's message in a sentence is this, God's Word is a glorious gift 
and a magnificent treasure that never fails to edify the diligent seeker. God's Word is a glorious gift and a magnificent treasure that never fails to edify the diligent seeker. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22 here, Moses describes the glory of these words. That's how he starts out. We'll see that in just a minute. He says, these words, these words, and he begins to describe these words. Now, what are these words? Now, for Moses, these words were the Ten Commandments, the ten words that he had just given them that we have been studying over the last ten or so weeks. It's those ten words. But remember, Moses is reflecting back to Sinai when the people of Israel were gathered around Sinai. And the Ten Commandments on those two tablets of stone, that that constituted the first written Word of God. Before that, God communicated. He, He talked to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? He talked to Adam and Eve in the garden. But but the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, that was the first Bible. That was the very first Bible. And so, as I'm looking at this and as I'm reading this, I want to suggest to you that what can be said, as Moses describes the glory of the Ten Commandments, I'm saying to you that what applies to the Ten Commandments in Moses' day applies to all of Scripture for us today. What a wonderful and valuable gift we have in God's Word. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, we, we miss that right we miss that we 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 miss the treasure in god's word but what a wonderful treasure it is so today i want us to to look at and i want to show you the glorious nature of god's word by revealing four characteristics of god's word from our text so four characteristics that we're going to see to show the glorious nature of god's word to us today So if you found your place there in Deuteronomy chapter 5, please stand with me. I know it's just one verse, but please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your holy, inspired, and arrogant, and glorious word. Oh Lord, may we treasure your word. Not to worship your word, not to idolize your word, but Lord, let us treasure your word because it is your word that reveals you, who you are. And who you call us to be. And most wonderful of all, it reveals to us our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Lord, let us value your word. Teach us to value your word today. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we consider the four characteristics found in our text of God's word... First, we see God's Word is authoritative. God's Word is authoritative. Moses says there in that first line, the first few words, right? Moses says, 
these words the Lord spoke. The Lord spoke these words. The Lord spoke these words. These are not the words of Moses. These are the words of the Lord. The, the Bible, right? This book right here. This book is not the words of men. This book is the Word of God. God spoke the Word. It is His Word. In the New Testament, Paul describes it as this in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It is God-breathed. It is God-breathed. It's not man-breathed. It is God-breathed. It comes from the very mouth of God. Peter says it like this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So none of this comes from men. Men spoke, spoke these words, but as they're speaking as God directs them, as God moves them through His Holy Spirit. So these words are not not men's words these are not the musings of philosopher but but god's word is god's very word the bible is god's holy inspired and inerrant word that's why i say that every sunday because i want you to understand that and know that these words that are found in this book these are not men's musings but these are the very word of god and being the very Word of God, that means these words carries the full authority of God. They carry the full authority of God. They are His words. Now, when I was in the Marine Corps, sometimes we would go out on these big training exercises, and maybe it was a joint exercise with many different divisions, many different companies. But there was always... A commanding officer, right? Someone who is in charge, usually a, a full bird colonel or a general who was in charge of the whole operation. And then he had subordinate officers underneath him. Now, of course, if they were communicating over long distance, they would use radio. But if the commanding officer wanted to get a message to one of his subordinate officers just down a few tents down, he had a runner at hand. A runner was a, a, just a kind of, a, a, well, a private, right? A, a nobody marine, just a, 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 a peon, right? Private peon. He was just getting his start in the Marines, right? He, he just got out of boot. He's still wet behind the ears, but he is the commanding officer's runner. And so General Smith would tell Private Peon, Private Peon, you go down, tell... Captain Jones, I need a hundred trucks from point A, going from point A, and I need them over here at point B at 0800. So Private Peon would run down here to Captain Jones, and he would tell Captain Jones, hey, the general needs a hundred trucks taken from point A, and he needs them over here at point B at 0800. Now, if Captain Jones failed to get 100 trucks from point A over here to point B by 0800, guess what? 
he wasn't defying the orders of private peon private peon was just a messenger he's a nobody to captain jones i mean captain jones is over him above him he's not defying private peon's commands he's defying general smith's command because the words right private peon his words really mean nothing but when his words are the words of the general they carry the general's authority guess what i'm private peon I'm private peon, and God has commissioned me to deliver a message from his word to you. And so as I open up scripture today, I say, thus saith the Lord, right? The words that I'm preaching to you are God's words. The word in this book, they are God's words. Paul was a peon. Peter was a peon. Moses was a peon. They were just the messengers delivering God's words. But the words are God's. And so, let me, let me make sure you understand this. This book, this is God's word. From God. They carry the full authority of God. Therefore, to disobey any word of this book is not to disobey Moses or Peter or Paul or Brother Richard as I preach them. It is to disobey God. It is to disobey God. Because God's word carries the full authority of our commanding officer, God. God's word carries God's authority. To disobey God's word is to disobey God. So God's word is authoritative. Second, God's word is glorious. God's word is glorious. Look at our text once again. Moses says, These words the Lord spoke to all your assemblies at the mountain out of the midst of fire the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice as god delivers these first words the ten commandments he comes down in such a miraculous way these words are given out of the midst of fire the cloud and the thick darkness and with a loud voice now that's not the way god always delivered his word as he went on through history as he spoke through Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other prophets and Peter and Paul, it didn't come in such a grand way, but as God delivers this first word, right, as it comes the first time around, he, he delivers it in such a magnificent way. Why? Because God is a communicator. He could have called Moses up, right? He's already been in contact with Moses. He's already given Moses some words. He's revealed himself to Moses. He talked to Moses in a burning bush, and, and the people of Israel didn't see all of that. God could have called Moses and said, hey, come on up here to this mountain and let me tell you some things, and he could have done it in a less miraculous, less glorious way. But God is a communicator, and he's doing something by this wonderful sign. He is doing something. He is communicating something about his word. He is showing us that his word is a glorious, magnificent word. What a wonderful thing. 
He brings it in such splendor because His Word is so splinterous, right? It's so marvelous. It's so wonderful. It is so great. We need to realize that. See the beauty and wonder of God's Word. What other God has talked to His people? What other God has given His Word? No other God has because there are no other gods. What a a wonderful thing that God would communicate to His people and reveal Himself to His people through His holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. One writer illustrated illustrated the glory of God's Word comparing it to a magnificent palace constructed of precious stone comprising 66 stately chambers. Each one of these rooms is different from the others and perfect in its individual beauty. Yet when viewed as a whole, they form an incomparable edifice that is majestic, glorious, and sublime. In the book of Genesis, we enter the vestibule and are immediately introduced to the records of God's mighty works in creation. This foyer gives access to the law courts, the passageway to the picture gallery of the historical books. Here we find hung on the walls scenes of battles, heroic deeds, and portraits of valiant men of God. Beyond the picture gallery, we find the philosopher's chambers, the book of Job, which leads us into the music room, the book of Psalms. Here we linger, thrilled by the grandest harmonies that ever fell on human ears. And then we come to the business office, in the very center which stands the motto, Righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a disgrace to any people. Proverbs 14.34 From the business office, we pass into the research department, Ecclesiastes, before continuing into the conservatory, the Song of Solomon, where the fragrant aroma of love greets us. Then we reach the observatory, where the prophets, with their powerful telescopes, are looking for the appearing of the bright and morning star. Crossing the courtyard at the drawing of the Son of Righteousness, we come to the audience chamber of the King, the Gospels, where we find four lifelike portraits of the King Himself revealing the perfections of His infinite beauty. Next, we enter the workroom of the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts. And beyond the correspondence room where we see Paul, Peter, James, John, and Jude busy at their tables under the personal direction of the Spirit of truth. And finally, we enter the throne room, Revelation, where we are enraptured by the mighty volume of adoration and praise addressed to the enthroned King. In the adjacent judgment hall, there are portrayed solemn scenes of doom 
and wondrous scenes of glory associated with the coming manifestation of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are blessed to have the Bible so readily available to us. All of these treasures right here in this book. Unfortunately, however, availability has in some ways reduced the Bible to a state of ornamentation. Far too often, it's placed up on a shelf or on a coffee table to be looked at, but never opened. As Charles Spurgeon once says, there is dust enough on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your finger. God's Word is a glorious, wonderful, magnificent gift and a magnificent treasure. Dear friend, don't set it up on a shelf. Don't throw it down on the coffee table and forget about it. Don't just pick it up on Sunday and bring it here and open it once a week, but every day dig into the glory of God's Word. God's Word is authoritative, glorious, and third, God's Word is absolute. God's Word is absolute. Look at the last phrase in this first sentence in verse 22. Moses notes, and he added no more. These words the Lord spoke, and he added no more. You know, there's a finality to God's Word. God's Word is absolute, final truth. Nothing is to be added. Nothing is to be taken away. It is God's Word, period. God's Word can be expounded. That's what I'm doing right now, right? I'm expounding God's Word. I'm opening up. I'm explaining it to you. We're we're taking uh, a good 30, 40 minutes on one little verse here. So we're expounding it. We're, We're learning from it. We're explaining it. So it can be expounded upon and it can be applied to our lives. But we can't add anything to it. And we can't take anything away from it. It is final. It is absolute. Now, our relativistic world can't stand the absoluteness of God's Word. I mean, think about our postmodern world, the postmodern world in which we live. There is no absolute truth. People hate absolute truth. I mean, just consider today the whole argument over gender. Right? In our culture, gender is fluid. And in our culture, the secular culture, you don't have to you know, keep the gender you're born with. I mean, if you want to be a woman, if you're a man, if you're born a man and you want to be a woman, hey, you just change your mind, right? It's relative. It's whatever you want it to be. That's what it is. And so if you're a man and want to be a, a woman, then hey, you can be a woman. If you're a woman and want to be a man, hey, you can be a, a man. Uh, they even have gender fluid. Gender fluid. Like, it can change from day to day. You can wake up one day and feel like a woman and go out and hey, I'm a woman today. And, and go out the next day, I, I feel like a man today, so I'm going to put on my pants and, and suit and I'm going to go out and be a man. 
something that seems so absolute like biological sex is not absolute in our culture, in their worldview. And, and so when we come and say God's Word is absolute and final, postmodernity hates that. That's why they want nothing more than to get rid of the Bible because the Bible says it is absolute truth. But I want you to understand the world is wrong. The world is wrong. You don't get to decide what gender you are. God decides when He creates you. And he assigns you a sex. That's, what he, that's who he created you to be. It's absolute. And God's world, word cannot be changed. It cannot be shifted. It is absolute. Relativism does not work with God's word. God's word is absolute truth. There's nothing to add nor is there anything that we can take away. It is absolute. We do not change God's Word. God's Word changes us. We don't change God's Word. God's Word changes us. We don't conform God's Word to fit our worldview. God's Word transforms our worldview to fit to it. To fit to God. As Jesus prayed for His disciples, and thus He prayed for all of us who follow Him, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. God's Word is absolute truth. So in a world that knows no absolutes, set your anchor in the absolute truth of God's Word. Don't be tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine, every theory that comes along. Set your anchor in the truth of God's Word. God's Word is authoritative. God's Word is glorious. It's absolute truth. And fourth, God's Word is permanent. God's Word is permanent. Look again in our text. In the second sentence of our text here in 5.22, Moses says, And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. God wrote these words on two tablets of stone, and he gave them to me. In other words, gave them to me to give to you. Now, when God wrote his word down, again, this is the first time that God gives his written word. And so when God writes his word down, he could have chosen from a number of mediums to write his word on. He could have used papyrus. Papyrus was a common medium for writing in Moses' day. That's what the Egyptians typically used. Papyrus was made from the papyrus plant. And so they would roll out the, the 
the papyrus there and layer it up on top of one another and they had a whole process and, and they would basically make a, a, a thick sheet of paper that's what we would think of it as but this papyrus was very common for scribes and and people who wrote a lot back in Egypt so the the Israelites would have been familiar with papyrus and so it was a common medium for writing and recording different documents in Moses's day God could have used papyrus. God could have used clay tablets. That's what a lot of the people of Israel would have used. They would have taken some clay and, and uh, they either rolled out clay and made a tablet or they would take little shards of clay that was you know, broken off of an old pot or something and, and they would use that and they would scratch their notes on, on clay pots or clay, uh, clay tablets. And, and that's how that was the, the most common uh, form or most common medium most likely for the Israelites as they were especially as they were wandering through the desert that's what they would have written on but God didn't choose papyrus nor did he choose clay tablets what did he do he chose tablets of rock chisel out these big chat uh, tablets of of stone and God chiseled His Word into these massive tablets of stone. And that was the Word He gave to His people. Why? Why did God choose these tablets of stone instead of papyrus or clay? Because God is communicating here again the permanence of His Word. You see, that papyrus, it doesn't last long. It doesn't last long. Eventually, it, it begins to decay, and, and it falls apart, and, and it gets thrown away. Clay tablets, they would break and, and, and be no good anymore. But God wrote them on tablets of stone to show the permanence of His Word. His Word is permanent. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. It doesn't go away. Now, our, our culture... It's ever-changing. Our culture is ever-changing. Just think about our world, how fast our world changes. I mean, goodness, our technology, we got, we got these phones, and, and it seems like I just got this phone not too long ago, and all right, right it's out of date, right? It, 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 it's messing up on me. It's outdated. And we go through stuff like this constantly. Our, our culture is constantly changing. Even the philosophies of our culture is constantly changing. They are ever-changing. I was just thinking about this. 1996, you had the Defense of Marriage Act, was, which was passed in Congress. By a vast majority, an overwhelming majority, passed that act back in 1996. It had overwhelming support. But now, 26 years later, we look at our culture now, and the tide has changed. And Christians are under attack for not recognizing same-sex marriage and for maintaining the biblical view that homosexuality is a sin. How many Christian bakers, florists, and photographers have been put completely out of business because of their Christian values. Oh, how fast culture changes. I remember when the Defense of Marriage Act was first passed, President Obama was all for it. 
But y'all know his words, but then he evolved, right? His view evolved, and all, their, all of those politicians, so many of their views evolved, and it changed because the culture changed. Our culture is ever-changing. And, and if you keep up with the culture, well, you're going to be ever-changing. Your views, your morality even, is going to be ever-changing. But I want to assure you that while our culture is ever-changing, God's Word never changes. God's Word never changes. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. So all of these denominations, all of these supposed Christians who are shifting with our worldview, they are trying to change God's Word, but God's Word never changes. It's the same today as it was yesterday, as it was 10,000 years ago as it was 4,000-ish years ago when Moses wrote Deuteronomy. God's Word is the same. It never changes because God never changes. God doesn't shift with our culture. God's views are the same. He created this world for a purpose. He created us for a purpose. And His purpose for us has not changed. God's Word is never changing. It is everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting, God's Word will never change because God will never change. So God's Word is authoritative. It is glorious. It is absolute and permanent. Therefore, Value God's glorious Word. Value this glorious Word. Value it. Treasure it. Dig into it and discover the well of treasures within it. Sidlow Baxter once penned a poem about the glory of God's Word. He says this, My pail I'm often dropping deep down into this well. It never touches the bottom, however deep it fell. And though I keep on dipping by study, faith, and prayer, I have no power to measure the living water there. God's Word is a glorious gift and a magnificent treasure that never fails to edify the diligent seeker. Drop your bucket down deep into the well of God's Word on a daily basis and drink from its living water. Of course, the greatest treasure of God's Word is that it points us, God's written Word points us to the Word that became flesh. It points us to Jesus Christ. In God's Word, we come face to face with our own sin and our own failure before God. We realize our own sinfulness and our need for a Savior. And God's Word points us to that Savior. Jesus Christ, God's only Son, who came and lived in complete obedience to God's Word, 
And though he was without sin, he went to Calvary's cross and there died for us, paying the penalty for our sins so that we might be forgiven of our sins and given eternal life if we only trust in him. Oh, seek the treasure of God's word. Seek Jesus Christ today. If you've never trusted in Jesus, Repent from your sins. Confess them before God. And trust in Jesus Christ. And he will certainly save you. Treasure God's word. His written word. And his word who became flesh. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, we pray that today you write its eternal truths on all our hearts. Oh Lord, let us see the wonderful value, the glory of your word. Let us hunger for it and thirst for it as a deer pants for living water. Let us pant for you by digging into your word. Oh Father, if there's any today who've never trusted in the living word, the word who's become flesh, Jesus Christ, oh Lord, let them see Christ today. Let them see the beauty and glory and splendor of Jesus and turn to him. And receive the joy of salvation in Christ. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.